0: Hey there podcast listeners, this is Abhishek with another episode of One Simple Question. First of all, I'd like to say thank you so much for all of the listens and the feedback. I'm really excited that so many of you have given this a chance. We've had three episodes and we've covered all sorts of topics from stepping up as a child to writing your own pilot to living graciously. I'm really excited to present this next conversation, not just because it's a beautiful story, but because it's also incredibly topical, and it keeps with the theme of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. My guest today is Hassam Hebo. Hassam is a brilliant and creative person whose story about the bus takes us on a journey from his homeland in Syria to where he lives now in Hamburg, Germany. I caught up with Hassam while we were both in Dublin and chatted to him about how one commute ended up changing his life.
1: How's it going? Hi, Sheik.
0: Thank you for joining me in the hotel room in Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I hope that this is cozy enough for us. It is. I want to dive into our conversation. I've heard the story. It was so cool. So let me just start with a really basic, simple question that I might ask somebody that I meet. Uh, Do you ever take the bus?
1: Oh, yeah, many, many times. But there is actually this one time that I remember the most. Um, It's important to tell you where I'm originally from. I was born and raised in Aleppo in Syria. And um, as you might know, actually, Syria now is going through a very rough time. I kind of
0: reacted exactly how I imagine most people react when you say that, which is to consider Syria
1: as a crazy place right now? Um, Yes, it is. So it's a little crazy, actually, especially in, in some of these cities like Aleppo, and there are some other cities. But it wasn't actually always like that, right? So I was born and raised there. And I remember Syria was a very beautiful place. It was a very... Warm place, warm people, sunny summers, and a lot of history, a lot of amazing stories also from that place. But unfortunately, it's not, it's not like this anymore, um, at least for now.
0: Remembering times that I've read about places in the region that are like this. If you think of Iran in the seventies, when the revolution happened, it was a beautiful, frequented tourist attraction. I'm assuming when we talk about the bus, something
1: tied to what happened in Syria and, and what's going on right now? Yes, exactly. So I think it really kind of relates to what you're talking about, especially like in, in general about revolutions. So the revolution in Syria started in 2011, and I was actually there. Um, and it followed after that with the current war that we have in Syria, where it was chaotic and now it's getting even more and more chaotic because there are a lot of hands already now in the game. And it's really hard, kind of like to tell where this is going. And um, like being in Syria, I was there actually before moving out from, from Syria in 2012. So I kind of saw this for almost one year. At the time, I was a software engineer. I was working as a software engineer in Aleppo. And I remember how dangerous it was just to do the basic things like commuting to work. So the bus that you're referring to is
0: living in Aleppo and commuting on the bus. You know, I get on the bus in London pretty regularly. We are meeting in Dublin. There's buses running around outside. But this might have been very different. I'm assuming things normally for you would have been standard. The the street would have been filled with people. The buses would be pretty regular.
1: Is that not how it was at the time? Yes, exactly, And it was that's actually the crazy thing for me because things when it goes chaotic, like you seriously don't think that it's gonna go that fast. So what happened is we were working um on a project, and when the war started, things were again like going a little bit chaotic, but it was still okay, so we were be able like to go to the office, like do the basic things. it still was dangerous. And then um, there was a week where we're actually supposed to deliver a project. And for us, we thought that we're going to deliver that project. And then we are actually going to close the office because it's getting really dangerous to go there. So what we did is we thought about it. Commuting is really dangerous. So with my friend, we were both of us working on that project. And we thought that we're just going to stay in the office. We're just going to actually camp in the office. So what we did is that we bought some food, some beverages, all of that kind of stuff that you need for a week. And we actually just decided to stay for a week in the office, even sleep there to finish that project. So you were in the office a full week. You were sleeping
0: in the office. You didn't go home. You didn't step out for a long walk. I mean, what was that week like? It was very hard work, I imagine. But did you feel cooped
1: up? Uh, Pretty much, to be honest. So The only place that we had was a really nice terrace that we could actually just go out a little bit and get some fresh air. But it wasn't actually the place for just to go for a long walk because you won't do it there. It was really dangerous. And by dangerous, I mean, it's not like dangerous, you might get rubbed or something dangerous. You might actually lose your life. So, yeah, literally, we stayed for almost a week in the office. Uh, we slept there, we finished kind of our work and we just wanted to make sure that everything is, is done perfectly before we actually close the office properly, like close the doors and we just say, I'm going to go home and we're going to find another way to live somehow.
0: What happened after the end of the week? Because it was so dangerous that you didn't want to go every day. Did, you had to get home after that. So what did you do?
1: Yeah, exactly. And here actually comes the story of the bus. That's the bus ride that I remember till today. So what happened is when we finished the war, it was time to go home, as you just said. So my friend went in a different direction. And then for me, I was thinking, it's dangerous. So what is the best way to go home? And at the time, you don't actually use even your cars because it's even more dangerous. Because when there's a car commuting, kind of like it just pulls all the eyes into that car. So what we did is, what I did, I thought, okay, then I will just actually walk to that bus station and usually that street was one of the most crowded streets in Aleppo. And me thinking, I thought just going there, you know, being surrounded by people is going to be safer. So what I did is I started walking into that direction, going to that street. And then I'm walking and I'm walking on that street. It was complete silence.
0: Why was it so empty?
1: Nobody was out. Everybody was literally super scared to be out and the reason why because there were snipers all over the place and you don't know where exactly it's not like specifically on that street they might be on the next street they might be on the street there might be five of them on that street so you never know and people were just scared and for me I actually didn't know that so I was just walking by myself on that street towards that bus station I remember it wasn't like cold or something It was sunny, it was blue skies, but at the same time, it was so quiet to the point that you feel uncomfortable at all or uneasy. Uh, I'm going to be frank. I never
0: think of snipers outside of video games and movies. I
1: mean, the idea that you saw that in real life is so different than... This is really true. Uh, What you said is actually a great example. So it's pretty much like a video game. Where you basically, you know, you duck down so other players don't see you and you don't get that bullet as a player. However, in in video games, if that bullet hits a player, so the game actually reloads for that player, right? So you kind of get a new life. But when I was walking there, for me, if, if that bullet hits me, my game won't reload. And I was actually thinking about this through that walking into the bus station. And what happened is that after that, I arrived at the bus station and still nobody was there. No cars on the street. And I had no clue when that bus is going to come. I was just standing there for around 15 to 20 minutes that felt like hours, like literally hours. And like the the, the, the amount of thoughts that you get in your head, it's like, what's going to happen now? What should I do? If this happens, where, sh- where should I go? What should I think about? All of these kind of things are actually kind of all in your head. And that's why it really felt like ours for me. So you're here. That means that you made it through the bus stop. What happened is that the bus finally came. And uh, it's pretty much like that feeling when you just feel that, you're back to life. So I saw that bus coming and I was looking at the bus and I'm just like, finally, the bus is here. And I was walking like up these two steps into the bus inside and I saw some other people in the bus. And that actually when life kind of came back to me and I started thinking kind of more logically again. It's like, ah, oh, now, now I'm here. And it was actually that moment of, or that terrifying and heated moment that made me think, well, it's time actually to leave you were fleeing. That's the word that you'd have to use to describe it. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. How did you end up leaving Syria? So that's also like a a nice extension of the the story when I think about it now, because when you hold the Syrian passport, it's really hard to get visas. For me, the, the easiest way was to actually apply for universities and getting a student status. So I get a student visa. And in a student visa, it's actually the easiest and the fastest way to kind of leave the country. So I started applying for universities all over. And I was getting rejections, a lot of rejections. I was not getting some visas from different countries. And then I applied actually also to one of the universities in Germany. It's the Technical University. In German, it's called the Technische Universität Berlin. So I got a, I got a scholarship. I got accepted. And then when I got that, um, the process actually after that went really fast because it's also a scholarship, which means everything is paid from the government, which was amazing. It actually really speed up my application process in in a very great way. Did you speak German when
0: you got the scholarship or did you have to learn it?
1: Not at all. So when I knew that I'm actually going to be moving to Germany, I did less than a month in Syria just to kind of learn the alphabet, how to pronounce things. But I was not able to speak the language. So you picked up a little German, you picked up, you went to Berlin.
0: Did you have family in Aleppo still?
1: Yeah, so I had actually my parents there. And one of the reasons I moved to Germany is actually my brother. Um, So he lived there at the time and he kind of gave me all of these links online because he had access to all of these. It's like, you know, apply for that scholarship, this one and this one and that one. And he had some connections where it could really help me on kind of like writing all of the papers that I needed and all of that. So yeah, I had actually my brother already in Germany, but my parents were, were still in Syria.
0: I, I want to ask about your parents and what happened with them, but I'll let you kind of continue what happened after Berlin in Germany. So go to university,
1: What was life like in germany now so exactly so i i arrived actually to berlin and on that as well i still remember the day where i left saying goodbyes to my parents was also probably one of you know moments where you think that you might not see your parents anymore and that might be actually the last time saying this to them so after that anyway it went actually all well so i arrived to germany and i started studying in the university um after four months i got really bored of studying Um, And the reason why, because after, you know, being on all of that situation, when I arrived to Germany and I had access to amazing books and libraries and network and people talk about different things, and it's kind of a, a new world where you can think about even different things and have different horizons actually to discover, I directly felt that, well, I'm too late to the game, right? I need to do this. I need to do that. And I have to learn this and that. So that's why I felt that I'm also really bored of just studying and going to universities. So I wanted actually to discover new areas. And what I did is I started looking for uh, jobs or for things that outside of you know just studying and just like doing something with my hands. As a software engineer, I think there are or there were as well at the time a lot of opportunities until now actually. So what I did is I um, I met somebody who wanted to start a startup, but he actually had no idea how to start a startup or how to actually build a product. And at the time, again, as a software engineer, I actually, oh, I can't build that. So what we did is we co-founded a startup together, and it was an amazing journey after that. So one minute, you're
0: sitting in a bus stop contemplating your very existence. The next year, a startup co-founder in Berlin, which the majority of the people in the world
1: also have never done. How did that go? That was amazing. Um, yeah, actually, the way you put it that way, it really made, like makes me now think about it. It's exactly, it's like these kind of turns in that story, uh, for me, is just amazing. But at the end, when I look at it, it's like all the dots are kind of connected. Because again, that hunger actually made me kind of push forward more just to understand and to learn how to do these things. So that experience was really amazing for me because I learned things that I've never heard about before customer acquisitions conversion rates all of the numbers and statistics the analysis uh design ui ux a b testing uh, like going in depth talking to investors building pitches elevator pitches going to talk to people that you never know in conferences trying to sell them something um, and all of these kind of things and then again getting the numbers doing a little bit of financing Hiring people, talking to people uh, in the team, managing people, being somehow a mentor for these people. And so all of this kind of package of experience for me, that was, that was my school, to be honest. And I enjoyed being there a lot because of all of the learnings as the destiny of a lot of startups, probably 90% of the startup that actually they fail. And that startup also, we actually failed financially. So we could not. Go further, so we bootstrapped for two and a half years, some money from here, some money from there, and at the time, I was getting a little bit of salary as well, because yeah, I was a co-founder, but I had a life um as well, so some rents, some bills that I had actually to do, and it wasn't like that high of a salary, but still, I was kind of like you know putting some money on the side just to make sure I have something for me with that startup, I really loved being a co-founder um and learning all of these things. At the end, actually, I ended up spending all of the money that I've saved on the startup as well. So I literally, when we actually stopped working on it, I had zero money in my bank account. So hang on, you have gotten so far, you've survived Syria,
0: and now you don't have any money left. You must have been freaking out. That's uh, I, Most people don't have that sense or that risk ability in them. And that scares
1: me, even when you say that. Um not at all. It actually, at the time, it did not matter at all. It did matter in a way that we like we, we did everything we could to make that startup survive. But at the moment when we realized that it's not going to work out, it didn't matter to me at all because for me, the package that I got with me, everything I've learned was just phenomenal for me. And it just gave me that push for the future. And also there I found my passion about building products, about getting to the bottom of things and finding and building solutions for problems we have. And when I actually found that tick in my brain, I I can do this. I just loved it so much. So it did not matter financially to me at all. And then I just thought, well, I survived a war. I could find a job. And I did. That's a level of resilience.
0: I don't think many people have. You've just been through so much that it's just innate to you now that Very little will get you down. I want to come back to Syria because it's the place that you're from. Think you'll ever be able
1: to go back? Well, there is something that keeps us all the time moving forward. This is hope. This is actually what keeps us all the time thinking about the future, right? And for me, it's the same thing about Syria. So I still have hope and I'm hoping every day that Syria is going to go back where it was before. And when that day comes i definitely would love to go for one to two months every year when i can depending on the times and all of that and to go there and build that country with the people there because i know that there are a lot of hungry young people there who would love to build that country again and they are full of ideas they have this entrepreneurial spirit In them, even if they don't actually know it, they just like, oh, we want to build this. We want to improve that. We can do this. We can do that. And I would love to support them and share with them everything I've learned so far and pass that experience to them. And I'm sure actually that we can build Syria again.
0: I forgot to ask this question. I do want to ask it. Where are your parents?
1: Oh, thanks for asking. Yes, they they made it out. They are now in Germany as well. Uh, They're like two hours actually from where I live in a different city. Uh, Which is amazing. So I could actually, or I can actually, I do visit them once a month. And that's just amazing to have that access.
0: That is absolutely amazing. I'm very happy to hear that. Thank you very much. What is the biggest takeaway from the ordeal that has been now a very large portion
1: of your life? I think the biggest thing that it keeps like pushing me forward is being hungry all the time or staying hungry all the time so when i was there it was about when i was in syria it was really about survival and after that after seeing like different kind of doors opening i was more thinking about like how can i just keep pushing forward and i think staying hungry is something extremely important actually or a key factor in that in that kind of storyline that when i look back uh, because it really kept pushing me forward. And to be honest, I still see this today as well. Like for me, I still all the time feel that I am missing out on things and I need to work more. I need to do more things. I need to learn more things because there are a lot of things that I didn't do um, probably during my time there. Wow. That's
0: just a wonderful way to wrap up that story of perseverance. I have to honestly say not everybody could have such a good outlook on everything if they've gone through so many things as you have so thank you for sharing that really incredible story and i'm so happy that we got to meet and that you got out of syria in order to live this life and tell this like wonderful process that moved you from a bus stop which is how we got here to where we are now and in a hotel room in ireland uh just chatting about this
1: thank you very much for having me thank you very much for having me shake and yeah, it is, it is fascinating. And I think there are actually a lot of these stories as well. If we can, like, you know, if we look around, it's just an interesting way to kind of look at life.
0: That was Husam Hebo and his story about how waiting for the bus one day ended up changing his life. But more importantly, his story was one about hope, hope for the future and hope for his homeland. Thanks again to Hassam for taking the time to share his journey. That's it for today's story. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, you can subscribe to get the latest updates anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have a moment and are feeling generous, please leave a review. I'd really appreciate it, and it helps me understand how to make this show even better. For more info on me and this concept, you can visit our website at onesimplequestion.co. One Simple Question is hosted by me, Abhishek Lahoti. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you tune in again soon, and bye for now.